Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Is morality bad for business? Well, according to some 180 or so CEOs, it is. Yeah, just this past week, there was a... uh, a big ad taken out in the New York Times that was headlined this way. Don't ban equality. It's time for companies to stand up for reproductive health care. Equality in the workplace is one of the most important business issues of our time. When everyone is empowered to succeed, our companies, our communities and our economy are better for it. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health, independence, and economic stability of our employees and customers. Simply put, it goes against our values, and it is bad for business. It impairs our ability to build diverse and inclusive workforce pipelines, recruit top talent across the states, and protect the well-being Of all the people who keep our businesses thriving day in and day out, the future of gender equality hangs in the balance, putting our families, communities and businesses and economies at risk. And then it was signed by 180 CEOs of companies you've never heard of. Well, there may be a few on there you've heard of the square. Jack Dorsey's the CEO. There's also the CEO of Twitter. He signed it. Most of the other people you've never heard of. They say they represent more than 108,000 employees. And this is one big push to try and keep abortion, the law of the land. Because you know how good abortion is. Long gone are the days when the liberal liberals in our country said abortion should be safe, legal and rare. Now they're trying to say it's a fundamental right that everybody should have and everybody should have the government, really the taxpayer, pay for it. All the way up to the very second of birth. And even if the baby's born alive, we're not going to do anything to save it. That's where we are in our culture today, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to talk a little bit about that today and get into some other topics as we go. I just couldn't let this go. I know we talked about moral issues last week, but they keep coming up. They keep coming up in our society. Now, let's take this don't ban equality and analyze it a little bit. I wonder what would happen if we took the second paragraph and just changed one word instead of comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion. We just changed, well, a couple of words instead of restricting access to comprehensive reproductive health care, including abortion. What if we say restricting access to slave slave labor threatens the health, independence and economic stability of our employees and customers? Simply put, it goes against our values and is bad for business. Indeed. That was the argument being made 150 or so years ago when we were debating the issue of slavery to the point where we went into civil war. Look, if you take away our slave labor, that's bad for business. 
Let's continue. Slavery bans impair our ability to build diverse and inclusive workforce pipelines, recruit top talent across the states, and protect the well-being of all the slaves who keep our businesses thriving day in and day out. Really? Hmm. Yeah, have you noticed there's a direct parallel between arguments for slavery and argue before arguments for abortion? Well, you know, slavery... If we outlaw that, that's bad for business. Abortion, if we outlaw that, that's bad for business. Really? Hmm. Let's analyze that a little further. When you say your values, these CEOs say it goes against our values. Well, whose values? Your own? What's your standard? What do you mean by values? I'd love to ask them that. Are these just preferences or are these written in stone by God? Because it's one or the other. Either values are just moral values are just preferences or they're objective. They're either subjective or they're objective. There's no in between. You might say they're either objective or they're not. So where are you getting the value that you ought to be able to kill unborn children? What's the standard for that? Look, if there if then you might also ask the question of such people, where do rights come from? Because there are no rights to anything, including abortion. Unless God exists, and of course, if God does exist, I don't think he's a big fan of abortion. There's no right to life if God doesn't exist. There's no right to anything if God doesn't exist, because everything would be just a matter of preference then. It's either subjective or it's objective, and it's only objective in the object, God's nature, if God exists. If God doesn't exist, everything's just a matter of preference. And if you're going to say, simply put, this you know, this is our, these are our values. Well, why are you imposing your values on the innocent baby? That baby doesn't have a choice. The father doesn't have a choice. Apparently, according to you, the people don't have a choice either to restrict or to protect the life of the unborn child, to restrict abortion or protect the life of the unborn child. You see, there's always values being imposed. There's only question is whose values are being imposed. Why are you imposing your values? And if they're just preferences, then there's no right. It's not a right. And you have no right to impose it on anybody else because there are no rights to anything. And that's really probably where most people are now. They're saying, on one hand, they're trying to say there are rights, the rights that we want. And they're stealing a standard from God, even though it's not God's standard. They're trying to say they have rights without God. And in reality, what's going on here is instead of standing on principle, these people try and stand by using power. Because if you don't have principle, all you have is power. All you can do is impose your will on other people rather than to appealing to a principle beyond people that everyone ought to obey. It's either principle or power. And since they have no true principle, no true overarching standard beyond themselves, they're just going to use power to impose it on people. Now, when people tell me, don't impose your values on me, I say, well, first of all, 
Why would why not? Would that be immoral? Because you're imposing you're imposing your value on me right now. You're saying I ought not impose ought nots, which is what you're doing right now. You're imposing an ought not on me. But secondly, as I've said before, these aren't my values. I didn't make any of this up. I didn't make up the fact that murder's wrong, that abortion's wrong, that rape is wrong, that theft is wrong, that men were made for women and women were made for men. And the best way to perpetuate and stabilize society, which is the reason the government's involved in marriage to begin with, is to legally recognize the man-woman relationship over every other relationship. I didn't make any of that up. These aren't my values. These aren't necessarily your values. These just happen to be the values. These just happen to be the moral, the moral standard. Not the one we made up, but the one that we recognized because it's grounded in God's nature. These are the morals that Thomas Jefferson said were self-evident, that the Apostle Paul said even the Gentiles are not the law of the law written on their hearts. You don't need the Bible to know these. They, came from, they come from the same source as the Bible, God. But these are the values. Now, if you don't like these values, which are the values because they're derived from God's good nature, that we ought to protect innocent life. If you don't like that value, you don't have a problem with me. You have a problem with God. And that's why you're rebelling against him, because you want to do things your way rather than the right way, than the true way. That's really what's going on here. Now, all of us are guilty of this in, in some respect. All of us are suppressing the truth to go our own way. But on this case, on the issue of abortion, I think the pro-abortion people are clearly doing that. I think it was Ronald Reagan who famously said, all those who are in favor of abortion are already born. You ever notice that? <laughs> yeah. yeah, good thing their moms did not choose to end their lives. Another question I might ask these CEOs is when you're talking about equality, what do you mean by equality? Doesn't everyone have an equal right not to be dismembered or scalded to death? I mean, liberals seem to be obsessed with equality for people as long as they get to define who qualifies to be part of the group known as people. The truth of the matter is all people, born and unborn, deserve equal access to opportunity, but they have to be given the opportunity to live first in order to realize that. And we're going to talk more about this right after the break. You're listening to Cross-Examined with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Our website, crossexamined.org. Crossexamined with a D on the end of it. .org. We have an app, too. Downloaded two words in the app store. Cross-Examined back in two. Thank you for listening to the Cross-Examined podcast. This material is made available to you for free by the contributions of listeners like you. If you wish to support future podcasts, just go to crossexamined.org and click on the donate button. Or simply use the donate feature directly on our app. Thanks. In the next couple of shows, I hope to have Hillary Morgan Ferrer on the program. Her new book, Mama Bear Apologetics, written with a bunch of other woman apologists. Great little book here. I was just reading a section of it today, and she was saying the side that controls these five words normally wins. What are the five words? Truth, tolerance, love. Sorry. Truth, tolerance, love, justice, and equality. Truth, tolerance, love, justice, and equality. Notice that even evil is being put forth as something good. The devil comes as an angel in love light. Yes. Even evil is put forth as something good. We call abortion equality? Really? Equality for who? Oh, they're trying to say, well, a woman has to have the equal right to control her body so she could compete better in the workplace. Well, question, should a woman have the equal right to murder workplace competitors Competitors, so she can, she can compete better with the people that remain? That's basically what you're saying here. 
that a woman ought to be able to kill her children so she can get a better job and, 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 and have a better career. Really? That's what you're saying? Well, that's what they appear to be saying. Equality, justice, love, tolerance, truth. Look, who? everyone's for equality. The question is, what does the word mean? Does it mean um, that I get to do whatever is necessary to ensure that I have the same outcome as everybody else? Or as, say, somebody I want to emulate? I mean, do I have the right to kill people if it'll help me make more money? Do I have the right to murder people who get in my way in the business world? Well, that's essentially what this argument is, 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 is said, or essentially what this argument is. I mean, if these 180 CEOs are going to say, look, abortion's bad or abortion bans are bad for business. That it implies here that what's, what's good for business, we ought to do, regardless, regardless if we kill people in the process. Now, of course, they're going to say, well, it isn't a person. Look, you're, you're anti-science if it's not a person. What do you think? There's a squirrel in there? No, there's a human being in there. We know that beyond any shadow of a doubt. And you, you just think, well, if it's going to hold me back in the business world, let me just kill the person. Now, why don't we say that with people already outside the womb? Because the logic works the same way. It does. They're both people, whether they're in the womb or out the womb. Changing location does not change your genetic status. You're a human being before you're born and a human being after you're, after you're born. The only thing that has changed is location. And by the way, you're still dependent on your mother after you leave the womb or somebody anyway. Well, the kid's not viable. Look, I know some teenagers who aren't viable. If you leave them alone, they're going to die. OK, <laughs> so viability isn't the standard. The fact that it's a human being in the womb that we ought to protect. So when somebody says bad for business, I want to say, what do you mean by bad? What's your standard? Was slavery bad for business? No, it's actually good for business. That's what the South was arguing. Did the ends justify the means? Do you put money over morals? You know, thieves, prostitutes, and drug dealers do that. Are you one of them? That you put money over morals? Solomon wrote, Proverbs 28.6, Better the poor whose walk is blameless than the rich whose ways are perverse. In other words, it's better to hold your integrity and forego economic gain than to compromise your integrity for economic gain. Those that compromise their integrity for economic gain are called thieves, prostitutes, drug dealers, and now 180 CEOs, apparently. By the way, uh, Rich Lowry wrote about this in the in the uh, National Review, this whole argument that it's bad for business. And he says this, by this standard, Utah must be a terrible place to do business since its abortion rate is so low. And the District of Columbia, an enticing place to do business since its abortion rate is so high. To the contrary, Forbes ranks Utah as the second best state for business in the country. And it's got the lowest abortion rate. Now, again, I'm not trying to justify this argument by even trying to refute it. It's a, it's an absurd argument off the bat, even if it were bad for business to abort or to prevent abortion, that wouldn't mean it's something that we ought to support abortion. That is 
There are a lot of things that could make business a lot easier for some people. Killing workplace competitors would be one of them. Stealing would be another, but that doesn't mean we allow it. So when people say bad for business, you might want to ask these CEOs, well, who are you going to get to work for you and buy your products and services if you keep murdering them before they're old enough to do so? I mean, think about how many people we've aborted in this country. We're up to around 60 million since 1973. Question, how many productive people have we aborted? How many cures have gone undiscovered? How many inventions have gone uninvented? How many works of art have gone uncreated? How many voices have been silenced? How many discoveries remain unknown because we've aborted the very people who would have done these things? Not only that, we're a dying nation because our birth rate doesn't even replace us. We don't have a replacement birth rate. In fact, uh, just an article a few months ago points out that the U.S. fertility rate is now 16% below the rate we need to replace ourselves. It should be 2.1 per couple. In other words, 2.1 kids per per couple on average. Obviously, no one has 2.1 kids. You get the idea. And it's 16% below the rate. In fact, in 2017, only two states, South Dakota and Utah, there's Utah again, the Mormons, I guess they're procreating out there, Only two states, South Dakota and Utah, had fertility rates above the replacement level in 2017. Now, it's probably not right to say fertility level or fertility rates because really we're fertile enough. We're just not noble enough. Enough people are getting pregnant. Enough babies are, are being made. We're just not allowing them to see the light of day. We're killing them. That's what abortion does. Not only that, it's ridiculous to say that abortion is good for business. Just as it's ridiculous to say you're a fiscal conservative but a social liberal. Why do I say that? Well, why do we have fiscal problems? The reason we have fiscal problems is is because we have moral problems. The reason we have fiscal problems is because of social and fiscal liberalism. I mean, think about it this way. How much better would business be if everyone told the truth? There's a moral issue right there, telling the truth. How much better would business be if people didn't steal? How much better would business be if people respected one another because everyone is made in the image of God? How much better would business be if people sacrificed for one another and truly loved one another? How much better would it be? The breakdown of morality leads to the breakdown of the economy. I mean, think about it this way. When you break up families, or worse yet, families even fail to form. In other words, 40% of the kids that are actually born in this country are born out of wedlock. So the families don't even come together. But when you make no-fault divorce, and you make it easy to break up families, what you're doing is you're breaking a dam that floods society with economic consequences. Think about it this way. Broken families lead to broken kids, which leads to higher crime, higher welfare costs, higher taxes, and a bigger government to try and deal with the flood, the flood of trouble caused by the broken family. You see, government tries to swell itself to take care of what the family used to take care of. And then those higher taxes create the need for dual incomes in families, which often takes the mother away from her children and also causes her to have fewer children, which further exacerbates the problem. Higher taxes also take money out of the private sector 
which reduces jobs, innovation, and economic opportunity. So ultimately, economic difficulty is caused by immorality. Contrary to what these 180 no-name CEOs are saying, abortion is not only wrong, it's actually bad for business. Contrary to what they're saying. But of course, people don't think think through these things much anymore, I guess. We don't see the connection between morality and the economy. And when we do attempt to see a connection, we get it exactly 180 degrees out of phase. Maybe it's ironic 180 CEOs sign this because they're 180 degrees wrong. And this whole idea about sexual freedom, first of all, there's no such thing as sexual freedom and love going together because what sexual freedom really means is you want to be free of commitment. But being free of commitment means you want to be free of love. You want to be free of having to care. You want to be free of having to sacrifice. You want to be free of having to actually go through difficulty with with the other person. In other words, you want to be free to drop the person and any family that comes through that person whenever you want. Well, that's not love. Love always protects. Love always seeks the good of the other individual. And sexual freedom doesn't give you that. Sexual freedom gives you the opposite. It gives you the freedom to drop the other person, to use the person and drop the other person whenever you want. And basically that means you just want to be free of being responsible for any of the consequences of your sexual behavior. And that's really what this is about. That's, that's, that's why people are viewing abortion as a sacrament. It's not abortion that's really the issue. It's sexual freedom that's really the issue. It's people don't want to have the consequences of behaving immorally, catching up with them. Janet Burns, writing in Forbes, puts it this way about this campaign. She says, the campaign likely represents the largest ever on record show of support from the business community for reproductive care. Reproductive care. Question. Reproductive care. Well, let me come back to that. She goes on to say, which researchers have shown has a substantial impact on employment, workplace diversity, and the lives of workers and their families? There's no reference for this. And the obvious thing overlooked here is the lives of the unborn children. Now, she uses the term reproductive care. And it's often sometimes called, in fact, in the in this uh, ad, it, they called it reproductive health care. Well, first of all, it's not reproductive at all. There's no health care going on here. I mean, nobody's being reproduced. They are not reproductive rights, but murder rights. This is a right to sex without consequences. Again, the dominant religion in America right now is the religion of sex. And unfortunately, the church has brought this on, by the way. It's the church that gave in to no-fault divorce. It's the church that decides that the only sin it's going to talk about is homosexuality. It's not going to talk about divorce. It's not going to talk about premarital sex. It's not going to talk about any of that stuff. Well, actually, some people do. Don't get me wrong. Of course, one of the reasons that the church sometimes talks about the homosexual issue is because the homosexual issue is being brought to us by some people in the community that want to advance it, whereas... Well, we'll pick it up after the break. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. We're going to talk about this and other topics right after the break. Don't go away. Website crossexamined.org. We're back in two minutes. 
college campuses are hostile to the Christian faith, and three out of four young people walk away from the church once they go to college. That's why we go to college campuses and present I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist in the United States and even all over the world. When we do this, we don't charge students a dime. That's why we need your financial support. In fact, over the past couple of years, we've been able to grow dramatically because of your generous support. And 100% of your donations go to ministry. Zero percent go to building. So when you give to Cross Examined, you'll be giving to help us go reach young people where they are. Would you consider giving today? Thank you so much, and thank you so much for what you've done already. Is morality bad for business? Uh, no, it's good for business. <laughs> but there are some 180 CEOs who are trying to say it's bad for business. And of course, bad. Is that a moral term or just a, uh, a, uh, what's the word, a pragmatic term? Like, well, we'll get more money. We do. You can make a lot of money being immoral. No question about that. If that's what they mean, well, sure, you can make a lot of money being immoral. But that's what thieves, prostitutes, and drug dealers do. I don't think they want to be necessarily associated with that. In in any event, we were talking about um, the fact that um, the religion of sex is the religion that uh, is the predominant religion in our culture. And I was talking about how the church has really dropped the ball in a, in a lot of ways in, w- with regard to this issue, because by it embracing no fault divorce, or at least not resisting it, we've made it seem like marriage is just about the romantic desires of adults has nothing to do with children. And so when you no longer are romantically attracted to your partner, well, you have a right to move on to somebody else so much for the children. So much for truth, so much for your vows. By the way, you only need a vow for the difficult times. You don't need a vow when when you, you're lovey-dovey with somebody else, when everything's going well. You, you, you don't need a commitment to stay with the person. You want to stay with the person then. It's when things go bad, when things get difficult. That's why you need a marriage vow. Well, don't make a vow if you're not ready to keep it. In any event, there are many people in our society that are trying to celebrate homosexuality, and that's why maybe the church has talked a fair amount about about it, even though many pastors won't touch it with a 10-foot pole, unfortunately. There are very few people saying divorce is a good thing. They're not promoting it, but they want to allow it. And the reason we have same-sex marriage is because we have demeaned marriage by just calling it a romantic arrangement between two adults. Well, if it's just a romantic arrangement between two adults based on the feelings of the two individuals, then okay, why not? Why not have genderless marriage? That's what it is. Just all about love. It's about nothing else. You can see the problems that creates, by the way, before I forget next week, I'm going to be out in uh, near San Diego, California, we're going to be out at, oh, I just had it up here and now it is gone. Well, I'm going to have to bring it back up. Stand by. Um, I'm going to be out at Rancho and Rancho Santa Fe, which is just north of San Diego, real close to Del Mar. We're, going, we're doing fearless faith. Uh, not not just myself, but uh, Dr. Mike Adams from University of North Carolina at Wilmington. 
And of course, Jay Warner Wallace, uh, my friend who uh, has done Fearless Faith with me for the past few years. And uh, what we're doing is we're showing young people and older people how to have a fearless faith, not only when they go off to college, but also in the workplace. And so I'll be speaking at Horizon Church that's in Rancho Santa Fe, California. Uh, the, well, the first, there's a Saturday night service, which is a Saturday, June 22nd. Then the services Sunday, June 23rd. And then the fearless faith program, I'll talk some about it in the morning. And then in the evening, uh, that Sunday evening beginning, I think at six o'clock, uh, we'll do, uh, the 23rd, we'll do fearless faith, Jim, myself and Mike Adams. And then Monday night, the very next night, we'll complete the program fearless faith. And so all the details are on our website, crossexamine.org. I hope to see you out there again. That's horizon church Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night. And then I'll be at grace community church the following weekend. Uh, that'll be June 29th and June 30th. That's in Sarasota, Florida, Grace Community Church for all five services. I don't know how pastors preach five services every week. That wears me out. But in any event, keep keep an eye, a sharp eye out for that. If you're down in California or out in Florida, I hope to see you the next couple of weeks. And as I say, next week, it'll be Fearless Faith, full program with Mike Adams and Jay Warner Wallace, the cold case homicide detective. All right, let's go back to what we're talking about here. Um, This whole abortion controversy with these 180 CEOs, not only that, but if you might, you might have seen that Illinois this week passed a law that probably is even worse than New York. And uh, there is a article on uh, Christian news and it's called five shocking facts about the new Illinois late term abortion law, which basically calls the death penalty for viable babies. Here are five things, five shocking facts about the law. All licensing requirements for abortion clinics are abolished and health and safety inspections Inspections ended despite those inspections shutting down previous dirty abortion clinics in recent years. You know, the whole Gosnell thing in Philadelphia where authorities look the other way and Gosnell was a murderer. He's in prison right now for murder, murdering babies. It was in a horrific clinic because nobody inspected it. Well, guess what? Illinois has taken away all those inspections Oh, they say they're for, this is healthcare. Really? Healthcare. You're really concerned about the women go in there and nobody's inspecting what they're doing in there. There's no sanitary requirements. There's no medical requirements. In fact, I think it might even be in um, Illinois now. You don't even have to be a doctor to do an abortion. I thought this was all about women's health and healthcare. No, it's not. It's about the sacrament of abortion, the sacrament of the religion of sex. Secondly, dismemberment abortions of preemie babies who feel pain without any anesthesia are legalized. You can rip a baby apart at nine months if you want in Illinois now. Third, every private health insurance policy, including those for small churches and religious nonprofits, must pay for elective chemical and surgical abortions. Sorry, you got to pay for it. So much for the First Amendment, freedom of religion, freedom of conscience. Conscience. Fourth, every unborn child up to and even during birth will now have no legal rights in Illinois. 
Five, abortion is labeled as a fundamental right protected to a great de- to a, a greater degree than free speech and the freedom of religion. Right there. Yeah. Your religious rights no longer take precedence. You now have to pay for abortion in Illinois. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where we are, friends. I tweeted this out. This is barbarism. And who gave it to us? The Democrats in Illinois. They just got a new Democrat governor. They always had a Democrat legislature. Now they got a Democrat governor. And so he signed this into law. This is called barbarism, ladies and gentlemen. Now, as you know, we don't get into endorsing candidates on this program, but I will never vote for a pro-abortion candidate. The right to life is the right to all other rights. And if your platform is all about abortion, not just abortion early on in pregnancy, but abortion right up through the ninth month, and you want even the government to pay for it, count me out. I'm never going to support an individual like that. Now, to some of your questions. I got a question from uh, Dan Stevens. He says, Frank, you mentioned a few websites in your podcast that track abortion statistics, but I cannot remember which podcast to save the sites. <laughs> uh, can you let me know what those are? I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for all you do, Dan Stevens. Yeah, Dan, if you go to Abort 73, you'll find some great, stati- great statistics on abortion. They track all the states. And uh, in fact, uh, as I mentioned a number of episodes ago, and we talked about this issue in more depth, The state of Florida records a reason for every abortion that occurs within its borders each year. And in 2015, there were 71,740 abortions in Florida. What percentage of them do you think were elective? In other words, it wasn't to do to fetal abnormality. It wasn't because the woman's physical health was in danger or even psychological health was threatened. It wasn't because the woman was raped or... Or, or uh, the life of the mother was in jeopardy. It wasn't from incest. More than 98% of the abortions were purely elective. Nothing to do with life or health of the mother or even health of the baby. These people just wanted to not have a child born. They already had a child. They just didn't want the child born. That's where we are. So when people bring up, well, what about rape and incest? You know, a question you might ask back to these people, you might say, let's say I were to agree with you that for political purposes, we could allow exceptions for rape and incest. Would you join me in banning all other abortions other than, you know, life of the mother? The person's going to say no. Well, then I'd say, why even bring rape and incest up? It doesn't help your case at all. We're not talking about rape and incest here. That's not our... That's not the point. The point is, is human being in there. And for political purposes, I would join with anyone that would get rid of all elective abortions. Now, it's still a human being, whether it's a product of rape or incest. But for political purposes, I would try and save most of the babies, even if I couldn't save them all. I think that's still a child that needs to be protected. But if people don't want to have the political will to do it, okay, what do you have the political will to do? Let's do it. Let's save as many babies as we can. Now, I got this letter uh, email, another question that came in, and this will take this into the next uh, segment. It's a long question. She says, hi, my name is Katie Crane. I love listening to your podcast. They have helped me so much in my walk with the Lord. 
and it has helped me defend Christ. I'm a pro-life advocate. I've gotten into many debates with many, many people. During one of my debates, I'm currently debating as I write this, a lady, I'll call her Sally, said the following, well, you'd be praying to a God that allows millions of babies to die on a yearly basis, long drawn out deaths too, starvation, disease, all of which he could stop with a snap of his finger, but doesn't? So yeah, go ahead, pray to that guy. My response was the following. I would be a liar if I haven't asked myself the same thing. Can I ask you if you believe God exists? Sally said this, I believe that the being, I believe the being that created us and the universe exists, but I don't believe a being of that intelligence sits around and demands our praise and worship. So the answer is no, I don't believe in a God. So the person asked, where is your proof of your creator? And Katie, the one writing in said, I'll make this short. Um, but the, oh no, wait a minute. This, this is unclear as to who's talking here. But anyway, the person said, my proof is that I'm here. So my question is, what would you say to someone who says they believe in a creator, but do not believe in God? All right, Katie. I don't know if I got the question clearly because there's a couple of ambiguities in your question, but I, I think the main question is, what do you say to somebody who believes in creator, does not believe in God? Let's just deal with that. Well, let's go back to our questions, the, one, the ones that Greg Kokel points out in his book, Tactics. You want to say, what do you mean by creator and what do you mean by God? And there are several other questions you can ask. We'll get to them right after the break. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Don't forget, I'm going to be in Rancho Santa Fe, California next weekend and Sarasota, Florida the weekend after that. Check our website, crossexamine.org, for more. And we're back in just two minutes with our final segment. Don't go away. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find more. Just type Cross-Examine or Frank Turek on the search bar. Also, visit our website where we add new videos, articles, and free resources daily. Do you want to learn how to present the truth of Christianity and how to answer questions? Then you might want to consider coming to CIA, the Cross-Examined Instructor Academy, this August 8 to 10 in Brooklyn, New York. We're going to the Big Apple, ladies and gentlemen. Christian Cultural Center up there. It's going to be a great venue, great environment. Greg Kokel will be there with me, along with Richard Howe and Bobby Conway and Brett Kunkel and David Wood and several others. You don't want to miss it. Uh, you, ha however, have to sign up this week because we're approaching the deadline. In fact, the deadline might be today. We may give you a few days of extension. What is it? June 15th, I think. Yeah, it's today. It's Saturday. So you better get on that. We'll give you a few days of grace if you send it in after that. We can only take about 50 to 60 people. We're getting full, almost to that level right now. We're almost full. So if you want to be a part of it, you got to sign up. You got to apply quickly. And uh, you won't regret it because it's an amazing uh, three days. Uh, everyone that attends uh, has always given it great reviews because they learn so much. They interact with the instructors. And by the way, it's not just me. As I mentioned, there's eight instructors. I'm just one of them. And uh, you get to interact with all the people, ask them questions, uh, interact, figure out how they got to where they are, what they're doing. Ask any question you want about any topic 
and uh, you eat together, you hang out together. It's uh, it's just we even probably going to all stay at the same hotel together. It's just a, a fun three days. And so if you're into evidence, you're into apologetics, you want to be able to present a positive case for Christianity in an effective and winsome way, then you need to come to CIA, the Cross-Exam Instructor Academy. But go to crossexamine.org, click on events, you'll see it there, you'll see the banner pop up, click on it and go through the application process and we'll hope to see you in August in New York, the Big Apple. Our friends from New York Apologetics will probably be there too, forget about it. All right, so we're dealing with this question where Katie uh, is having a debate. I don't know if it's an online debate or what, but it probably is. And I'm not a big fan of online written debates because it seems that when that happens, people get really defensive. They're not open. They're just, they get snarky. I, I just don't like it. And I, I think it's, uh, it's almost like driving, you know, <laughs> you're driving somewhere, you get real snarky with other people. You'd never get that snarky and have such a bad attitude if, you know, if the person was standing right in front of you. So the same thing is true online. I think it's a difficult place in which to have an honest and open conversation. But if you want to go ahead and do it, go right ahead. I, I'm just not a big fan of it. I don't do it very often. In any event, I would ask questions when the person says, here's the question. What do you say to someone who says they believe in a creator, but do not believe in God? What do you mean by creator? And secondly, what do you mean by God? Because if the person describes God and the person's an atheist, says, I don't believe in this kind of God. Chances are the description that the individual gives will not be the God of the Bible. And even if it is the God of the Bible, you'll then have a chance to discuss any misconceptions the person has about the God of the Bible. But typically, you know, they'll say that God is someone who just wants everyone to be happy and have a good time. C.S. Lewis famously said, that's the kind of God we all want. You know, somebody who just kind of a benevolent old man up there that just wants everybody to have a good time. And so if everybody's not having a good time, then that means that that bean doesn't exist. Well, look, that's true. That bean does not exist. That's not that's not the God of the Bible. What kind of God don't you believe in? Oh, that kind of God? I don't believe in him any either. Or I don't believe in him either. So that's not the kind of God we're talking about. So ask, what do you mean by God? Now, this lady, Katie, that you were talking to brought up the, sal uh, the starvation and disease. And he, she said that God could stop all that with the snap of his finger. I would ask this question, is allowing starvation, disease, and death morally bad? And if it is, why? By what standard are you judging that to be morally bad? You see, you're assuming a standard of goodness to even raise the question. Now, we might say that allowing starvation, disease, and death is morally bad for us if we can prevent it. But is it always morally bad for an omniscient being? In fact, you might also ask the question, what's the purpose of life? Is the purpose of life to avoid starvation, disease, and death? I mean, we all want to avoid that, but is that really why we're here? Is that all the only reason we're here, to avoid those things? Is it ever possible that good could come from evil? Look, you can't figure out the purpose for any event unless you know what the overall purpose of life is. Now, the atheists will say there's no purpose for life. Well, if there's no purpose for life, there's no right or wrong way to live it. There are no good or bad choices. There are no right or wrongs morally. Everything's just a matter of preference. So the entire objection evaporates if there is no God. 
because there is no ultimate good, which means there's no ultimate bad, which means you can't blame anyone for anything going on because that's just what happens. There's no right or wrong. There's no ought to anything. I mean, the objection assumes people ought not starve. They ought not get sick. They ought not die. Well, that's, again, assuming a purpose to life. That's assuming a moral standard. And if there is no God, there is no moral standard. So the very objection presupposes a standard, but that standard only exists if God exists. This is why I always say, and it's based on our book, Stealing from God, that atheists have to steal from God in order to argue against him. In order to say that there's too much evil in the world, they have to presuppose good. But when they're presupposing good, that's an argument for God. Because God is the standard of good. So you're stealing from God to argue against him. You have to sit in God's lap to slap his face. Now, you might also want to ask this question. Do you ever allow your child to experience pain for a greater good? You ever take your child to the dentist? You ever get your child an immunization? You ever allow your child to fail in order to learn a lesson? Of course you do. Might God be doing that? Might God allow sickness, disease, and even death? Because look, we live in a fallen world. We're all going to die. But this world isn't the end. Oh, sure. If you just look at this world, then there are many injustices that will never be righted. But if this life goes on into the next life, if the purpose of this life is to not only influence people in this world, but to influence eternity, then there may be effects that spill over in eternity. Not maybe. There are effects that spill over into eternity. But if you're just assuming, yeah, once you die, that's it. There's nothing else. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of injustice. Of course, that presupposes justice, which presupposes God. But you even allow pain for a greater good. If you allow it, do you think God might allow it? And might God have reasons you don't know? especially since he's an infinite being and can see how everything fits together. We can't. We can't see how, how events which occur today ripple forward into the future. Every event that occurs today ripples forward into the future and affects trillions of other events. We can't track those. God can. The very fact that you're alive right now is probably partially responsible for a lot of evil being done in the past. I mean, we don't, we might not be able to put our finger on all that, but God can, God knows that bad things can bring forth good things. Even if we can't know how that happens, we can't trace all the cause and effect, but God can. You might also ask the question, Katie, of this individual, and I don't know if you have this kind of access to the individual, but if you do, you can have a pretty strong conversation and again, much of what I'm saying here is in the book, Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. So if you want to go deeper, you can. But you might ask the question, what if God took suffering and death upon himself so all of us could ultimately be free of the pain and suffering that we ourselves caused? In other words, what if God literally entered humanity, entered the space-time continuum, took humanity on, lived the perfect life, 
went through pain and suffering himself. So ultimately we could be free of pain and suffering, the very pain and suffering that we deserve, that we caused ourselves through our actions, our sinful actions. What if God did that? I mean, because if you're going to claim that you believe in a creator, but not a loving being that gets involved in the world because there's too much evil in the world. Well, you've actually already shown that God must exist. The God of the a God, like the God of the Bible must exist. A God that gets involved must exist. Because if you're going to claim there's evil, you have to presuppose there's good. And if God is good, then he would get involved at some point to save us. So the objection that, well, there's too much evil in the world. And when you pray to him, he doesn't always respond. So he must not exist. Doesn't work, number one. And it presupposes a standard of oughtness that only would exist if God exists. And thirdly, it, it trades on the notion that there's love out there and justice out there. And things ought to be better, ought to be different. But if they ought to be better and ought to be different, then the being whose nature establishes what justice and love is must be just and loving and therefore at some point will come and save us. So the argument really collapses upon itself because it presupposes a standard to say that God is a deistic God who just creates and then leaves because there's too much evil in the world presupposes <laughs> that there's a standard of good out there, which is God himself. And if he's good, he's going to come at some point to save us. And that's exactly what's happened. Now, I don't expect that just bringing up these questions is automatically going to convert the individual to Christianity. There may be other issues going on, but logically, reasonably, I think the evidence is there that this being does exist. So you ought to ask those questions, Katie. And also ask the question, if Christianity were indeed true, would you become a Christian and see what this individual you call Sally says? And then email me back and let me know. All right. That's Katie. All right, ladies and gentlemen, great being with you. We'll see you next week. Don't forget, San Diego, California, just north of San Diego this weekend, Rancho Santa Fe. And then the following weekend, the last weekend in June, Sarasota, Florida. Check our website, crossexamine.org, for more back next week. God bless. We hope you got a lot of value out of this episode. If you think our podcast needs to reach more people, here's what you can do to help. Go to iTunes and type cross-examined official podcast, four words in the search bar, and leave us a five-star rating. It'll take you less than five seconds. And if you have a few more seconds to spare, leave us a positive review. The best reviews will be featured on future episodes. You can also listen on Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. God bless. God bless.